all of us have been involved in have been involved in situations where we've been kind of embarrassed or humiliated. A couple of years ago, I was involved in running a couple of day con a day conference and an evening conference when I was at the other place up the road, uh, and we had an international guest who was staying with us, and we had to fly to Sydney the next morning. Uh, I did what you do in those situations: set the alarm, went to bed. Uh, the alarm went off. I got up, had a shave, had a shower, got dressed. And just as I was about to leave the bedroom, uh, my wife said, you do realize it's 1.15 a.m. in the morning. Pretty humiliating and fairly embarrassing. I, of course, got undressed, got back into bed, attempted to go to sleep, didn't sleep very well, and then got up at 5.15 or whatever it was meant to be to take our guest to the airport and to fly to Sydney. Uh, I didn't tell anybody because it was so embarrassing. Uh, it would have been a dint to my pride to have to actually have talk of that talk about that. Um, if you've got little kids, as we've all had, probably not most of us have had at some stage uh, in our lives, you'll know that your kids uh, can do things that are incredibly acutely embarrassing, and you've got no control over it. Uh, but you do live sometimes with the consequences of that. These sorts of situations illustrate or unmask rather our sense of pride. And as we all know, Proverbs 16.8 tells us that pride goes before a fall. And in a sense, in the wider community, there are never-ending sort of stories, incidents, where this takes place. Uh, one thinks about the, president, the former president of America who's still going on about the fact that the election was stolen from him, uh, what is it, nearly a year later. Pride runs deep, and it's one of the cardinal sins against God. And pride expresses itself when what other people think about us matters more than what God thinks, about God's love being not enough for us. We need other people's approval and other people's attention for us to feel okay. Where God's approval of me is inadequate unless I have the approval of others. And where external appearances count for everything and we are preoccupied with them. Or for some people... I am what others think I am. I'm not who I am, really. I'm just what other people are. I'm a back projection of how I think other people think about me. We all know pride when we see it. And actually, we all know pride when we see it in others. The people who are too proud to ever ask for help. The people who keep on doing the same things again and again because they're too proud to admit that they need to change. The people who always push themselves forward and never need to be centre stage. And the people who always have done something better than you have uh, and you feel inadequate because of that. I could go on and on. Some people are narcissists and always need to be the centre of attention. Uh, it has been suggested that social media is amplifying this uh, tray in our community culture, especially with younger people. A survey of one million students in the United States found that 70% of them thought they, they were above average in leadership ability. Only 2% thought that they were below average. And in terms of ability to get along with others, all students thought that they were above average. 60% thought that they were in the top 10% and 25% thought that they were in the top 1%. Well, most of us here probably aren't narcissists, but we still struggle with pride. Pride is at the heart of our rebellion against God. Pride tells us that we don't need God and that we are good enough in ourselves. Pride drives the manic need many people have to always feel like they are in control. As Kerry Niehoff says in the book, didn't see it coming, pride is at the heart of an obsession with self. It generates the desire you feel to protect, to project, to manipulate, to jockey, to pretend, to inflate, and to brag. 
It's so pervasive, as Benjamin Franklin observed, if you ever reach the point of becoming humble, you might find yourself wanting to boast about how humble and meek you are. So what drives our sense of pride? And here, well, here's, our, here's five suggestions. Firstly, you compare yourself to others. We all do this, don't we? It's natural and it's normal. But it can be incredibly destructive and very unhealthy to spend a lot of time worrying that we're not as well off or think that we're not as good as or to think that we're not as effective or capable as someone else. Because compared to others, we're often going to feel either inadequate or we're going to feel like we're amazing. But secondly, your self-worth is determined by your latest performance. Most of us are accountable for our performance in the workplace, and that's okay and that's important. Your, but if your sense of security and your well-being can't be based on the latest set of accounts or sales or what happened in your classroom 10 minutes ago, uh, if your well-being is determined and your sense of self is determined by your latest performance, uh, then you really could be an emotional jack and you, know, you could be up and down all the time, like a yo-yo, literally. Thirdly, you can't celebrate someone else's success. If you're insecure, you'll struggle with other, other people's success. Someone else's success means your loss, and that can be anxiety-producing. There's no future in this, but it can consume us. Fourthly, you squeeze gifted people out of your life. This may seem odd, but if we're anxious and insecure, we won't want to be surrounded by people who are more gifted than we are, or who we think we are. <laughs> We've probably all seen this happening. Gifted people are ignored, or overlooked because we find them in, we find them threatening uh, and that dints our pride because if they do things better than us then we might feel inadequate or people may not think we're as good as we think we are. Fifthly, you may say you want someone some say in everything. Proud people can become control freaks. They always have to be the expert in every area and they always have to be the centre of attention. They often have to have the last word in every conversation and they'll drive their staff or team to distraction because they meddle and they undermine trust. Left unchecked, pride will harden your heart with potentially diabolical outcomes, both for you and the people in your life. So what can we do? Well, I think one way forward is to have what is I would call a realistic sense of self. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 to 5, there's a very famous, very well-known verse, but it's often not looked at in its context. Galatians 6, 2-5 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves, and each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Now, we all know the verse, Carry each other's burdens, and what a wonderful verse it is, because it's a great reminder that as part of a Christian community, we should be actively supporting each other and helping each other to cope with the burdens and challenges that we face in life. But verse 3 takes all of this a step further. It says, if any of you think that you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourselves. There was a person who did a four-piece puzzle who said to a friend, look, I finished it in six months and it says on the box for three to four years. Well, the first step to having a realistic sense of self is to accept ourselves for who we are. We won't be able to be helped if we're self-deluded, if we think we've arrived, if we think we're on a higher spiritual plane, if we think that we're here to care 
and never need to be cared for ourselves. If we think that our problems are all consuming and we never think about anyone else. If we never see the sin in our own life while condemning the sin in other people's lives. If we're so full of our own importance that we find it a struggle to mingle with the masses. There is a story of Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer, who was on a domestic flight in North America and severe turbulence hit the plane, the flight. The announcement was made to fasten seatbelts. He kept his seatbelt unbuttoned, un unbelted rather, and the flight attendant asked him to buckle up. He replied, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Quick as a flash, the flight attendant replied, Superman don't need a plane, so please buckle up, which he did. We must see each other as we truly are, sinners in need of forgiveness, flawed and failed people, each of us fellow strugglers in Christ, and therefore each of us needing the grace of God in our lives, but each of us needing to be humble enough to admit our failures and inadequacies, our flaws and our tensions as people. So don't think of yourself too highly. But in verse 4 it says, each of you should test your own actions, then you can take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to somebody else. Now each of us must come before God and seek to be true to him. For some of us, if we compare ourselves to others, we'll always feel like failures. And for others, if we compare ourselves to others, we'll always have a sense of pride because we'll think we're pretty amazing. This is tricky, isn't it? Because most of us are in the business of comparing ourselves to others, it's hard not to do that. A remarkably high percentage of people in our community don't like the way they look. They are going in for all sorts of treatments to supplement or enhance the way they look. In fact, you know, I feel kind of embarrassed doing this recording at present because I haven't had a haircut in three months. Um, and I look a bit scruffy. Uh, I mean, I will be getting one on Saturday morning, but that's, you know, not going to help for this particular moment. Uh, for many people in our context, which school you go to went to seemingly says something about who you are and your family. Well, it would be wrong to think that somehow we ministers who minister from the pulpit are immune from this. Ministers do it all the time with my pulpit's bigger than your pulpit type conversations. People will say things like, I just preached the best sermon I've ever preached. I nailed it. Uh, they'll usually say that until they get home when they might get some more feedback that might be a bit more challenging uh, to their self-perception of what was going on. So what do we read here? Well, we don't follow the way of comparisons. Uh, this means that each of us have to come before God and be accountable to him. If we get it right, then we can be rightly proud and thankful. And I think that's one of the great things about this verse, because it does say that there is a rightful place for feeling like you've done something well, for being grateful and thankful, uh, and to be in a position where you feel pleased with what you could do. Now, I should say that that kind of compares to a previous era when people used to be exhorted to never actually feel like they did anything well and to never actually seek any acknowledgement because you would be filled with pride. I think there is a right place where we can be pleased with what we've been able to do and what we've been able to be a part of under God uh, and to be thankful for that without necessarily it becoming big-headed and us being filled with pride in the wrong sense of the word. So while we never get it right, we can still be proud when things go well and we're able to serve God in a way that is joyous and encouraging. But next we read in verse 5, each of you should carry your own load. What marvellous Pauline balance we have here. Carry each other's burdens, that is mutual encouragement and truth-telling, but carry your own load, personal accountability and responsibility. 
A healthy church community and a healthy Christian person will strive to put both of those principles into operation. We'll be honest and open about our struggles, and we'll ask people to help us to become more humble and to have more self-worth, or to have more self-worth. That also means that if we've got some rough edges, which, let's face it, all of us do, uh, we'll be helped gently by others to actually work out the impact that some of our rough edges might have on others and to do something about that. And that could be a means by which we might become less proud ourselves. Um, but we'll also strive to be personally responsible because all of us have to ultimately be accountable for our own actions and behaviour and our own attitudes and all of us have to come before God ultimately uh, and be honest and open and real with him. See the balance here? We give constructive feedback to people and we receive constructive feedback. We praise and acknowledge people for when they do things well and we gently encourage people when they might have challenges or issues to work those through and to behave or function in a different way. Both uh, we are, in a sense, working in a context of mutual care and mutual responsibility, but personal care and personal responsibility because ultimately we all have to carry our own load. So if we all seek to do this, then that's healthy for you personally, uh, but it's also healthy for us as a community because all of us will be getting on top of the pride that we have and functioning and connecting and behaving and, and serving in a healthier and more effective way. At the end of the day, each of us are responsible for God for the decisions we make. And if we sin, it's our responsibility. If we decide to drift or to fail to act on God's word to us, as Paul goes on to say, then we personally live with the consequences and the responsibility for that. Paul says in the same passage, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. People reap what they sow. So if you do have a prideful heart or you're someone who has an incredible need to be in control or you're someone who spends all of your time comparing yourself to others and feeling either unworthy or great, then you actually need to do something about that and you need to help ask others to help you in that. Which means that we need to work out what it means to cultivate humility because the antidote to pride is humility. It's easier said than done to become humble but here are four simple suggestions. Firstly, cultivate gratitude. If we're grateful, then we have life in perspective. We don't think it's all because of us. We're grateful to God for who loves us and the people he's blessed us with in our lives. I've had this theory for a few years that one of the things that distinguishes us as a community is the opportunities that we have. If you're living in Burundara, then you're generally speaking people who have an above average income. Not everybody's in that situation, but many are. Um, and that only, not only means that you, in a sense, live uh, you know, a fuller lifestyle because you've got the resources to do that, but we also have opportunities that come with that. And that in itself is a sign of privilege, which we should be incredibly thankful for. Now, in the main, we come from... So I'm not saying this to be critical. That's just the reality of my life, of many of our lives together as a community. And if we have had and continue to have an abundance of opportunities, then we need to be especially grateful, or we maybe just be tempted to become arrogant and prideful or think that somehow, you know, we're incredibly special because we've done incredibly well and uh, we own this house in such a location or we do all the things that we get to do. I mean, I think that's a big challenge for all of us. Gratitude, I think, is a great counterbalance to that because if we had an attitude of being thankful and grateful, 
then we acknowledge that it's not necessarily because we're so great, uh, it's because of the way in which God has blessed us, and we should be thankful for that. But secondly, open your notebook. Pride unchecked leads to arrogance, a critical spirit, and a lack of a need to learn and to grow. Humility is always open to new possibilities and to the sense that you have something to learn. This may even include an actual notebook to take down ideas or new learnings. It can be a place to celebrate and give thanks as well as to ask questions. So, you know, it may not be a physical notebook, but you might have a mental notebook whereby you're open to new things. You don't think you've arrived. You don't think you've got it all together. You don't think that as you are, you've kind of sorted everything out. You've got things to learn, things to grow in, things to do and to be a part of that God's wanting you to be a part of and to be open to. Thirdly, push other people into the spotlight. Pride wants the spotlight to be on me, but humility wants us wants to push other people forward. It wants others to succeed and to build a strong team who work well together. Ironically, this will generally lead to much better outcomes for all concerned, even you. Where in the 40 final season, the ultimate winners will be the best team. Uh, and having had the euphoria of Melbourne winning the premiership, uh, one of the things that really stood out was they embraced this team first culture where some incredibly gifted and talented players uh, put aside in a sense their own individual achievement for the sake of the whole team. Ironically, they played at their best, but the team themselves flourished as well because of the team first culture. In fact, Christian Petrarca, who won the Norm Smith medal in the grand final, uh, didn't have it on public display. He slipped it inside his Guernsey. He only wanted to hang the premiership medal around his neck because it was all about the team and not about him. Well, fourthly, get ridiculously honest with yourself and God. An uncomfortable place to start is to read a passage like James 3. This may not be just a reading, it may, just, may not be just a reading from Scripture. This Scripture may be reading you. In James 3, verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you, have to, you find disorder, and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Well, that's a pretty challenging and confronting passage, isn't it? Uh, but it does actually, I think, put things in perspective. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, and every evil practice. So if you are struggling with pride, with selfish ambition, with envy, uh, then you need to come before God and to seek his help to become more humble, more self-effacing, more concerned for others than you are concerned for yourself. Well, envy, self-preoccupation, ambition for self, boastful, unspiritual, uh, open to the demonic ideals and passions. Well, all of us, I hope, will want to be more humble more peace-loving, more considerate, more merciful, more impartial, more sincere. Today we've thought about the fact that pride can be something that sneaks up on us and can bring us undone. 
And there are things we can do to actually counterbalance that. Part of that is bearing each other's burdens and being honest and open with one another. Part of it is accepting personal responsibility before God for our lives and the impact that we have on others. Amen.